I wonder if you believe in UFOs. Well, I do, and I'll tell you why on this episode of Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hi, I'm Bob Buchanan. Who are you who are so wise? The first movie that I recall seeing about UFOs and extraterrestrials invading our world was The Day the Earth Stood Still, starring Michael Rennie and Patricia Neal. And I've enjoyed sci-fi movies ever since. Uh, the movie was released a little over a month after I was born, uh, but I remember watching it with my mother, who was a huge Michael Rennie fan when I was about seven or eight or nine years old, on a TV channel out of New York City. It was my first taste of sci-fi films about aliens from outer space. Now, as a teenager, I read The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. I even listened to the recording of Orson Welles' 1938 radio broadcast. The remake with Tom Cruise, it was okay, but nothing like Wells' radio theater drama. And then, of course, there's Steven Spiel's, uh, Spielberg's uh, Close Encounters of a Third Kind and E.T. And there have been others, Independence Day, Contact, The Arrival, TV shows like My Favorite Martian and The X-Files. The truth is out there somewhere. I especially remember an episode of Rod Serling's uh, Twilight Zone called uh, Will the Real Martians Please Stand Up? It's about how the Martians sneak onto Earth to colonize the planet, only to find out those beings from Venus got here first. Now, what was common about all of those alien invasion movies in the 1950s was the sort of moral messaging that was in there. It was a time of increased world tensions between the superpowers that emerged after World War II. The day the Earth stood still carried a moralistic message about nuclear proliferation after the war. The plot had this UFO landing in Washington, D.C. with a very handsome and nearly messianic character from another planet named Klaatu. He was played by Michael Rennie. Klaatu came to Earth with a warning to the world leaders. An, intelli an intelligent alien life form has been watching the dangerous Cold War era nuclear buildup on Earth. And the moral of the story comes right at the end of the film. After assembling Earth's uh, leading scientists, Klaatu tells them that an interplanetary police force with invincible robots like Gort has been created to monitor all the violence in the universe. Now, that's a scary thought. And he says this, in matters of aggression, we have given them absolute power over us. And that's an even scarier thought. And so the choice, he said, is simple. Join the organization and live in peace or pursue the present course and face obliteration. And then comes the ominous, the balls in your court. We shall be waiting for your answer. And with that, Klaatu and Gort get into their saucer and they fly away, never to be seen again. Well, sci-fi genre has um, often been used as a vehicle to tell moral tales, a sort of Aesop's fables for the 1950s and 60s. In fact, a number of Japanese sci-fi uh, movies after World War II were about the dangers of out-of-control uses of atomic power, unleashing the most horrible kinds of violent monsters known to man, Rodan and Godzilla, two that I remember. Belief in intelligent life on other planets has been on the minds of human beings for centuries, and it's become a matter of very serious scientific and scholarly research in the mid to late 20th century. In fact, in 1961, Frank Drake uh, tried to uh, stimulate dialogue at the first scientific meeting, uh, meeting of the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, or SETI, 
with an equation to calculate how many probable intelligent life forms there might be in our galaxy. A new study, led by the University of Nottingham, England, and published in the Astrophysical Journal, has taken a new approach to this problem, operating on the assumption that intelligent life forms on other planets uh, could develop in ways similar to Earth. Researchers have estimated the number of intelligent, communicating civilizations within our own galaxy, the Milky Way, to be about 30 active, communicating, intelligent civilizations. Now, you have to ask, how did they come up with that number? Well, it begins with the theory of evolution and a relatively new scientific field of a study called astrobiology. Two astrobiological scientists, Christopher Consolis and uh, Tom Westby, say that the number comes from an assumption that it takes, quote, five billion years for intelligent life to form on other planets as it did on Earth. Now, by their calculations, there should be at least 36 civilizations in our galaxy alone. Well, now, the problem with their findings is that there is not one single subject to study. Not one alien being or alien body has been found to confirm their speculation. And conspiracy theories abound. A new documentary called The Phenomenon is now available that claims the Pentagon has been con uh, colluding with government officials at the highest level in every administration, covering up for years possible alien spacecraft crashes and visitations. It only makes sense that a documentary like this would be released in 2020. The first question I would ask is, why do so many people believe in or want to believe in extraterrestrial intelligent life out there? Well, a couple of reasons come to mind. To some, the idea that our tiny planet with its mere 7 billion people in a universe containing an estimated 700 quintillion planets and a mere 100 billion in the Milky Way just makes no sense. It seems like a huge waste of time and effort and material. Surely they will say God or evolution, or you just take your pick, wouldn't limit intelligent beings to one small blue dot all by itself in this vast universe. The other reason that I've heard is that we just don't want to think of ourselves as being alone, alone in the universe. That's a chilling thought for some people. So what can be ascertained from scripture about life on earth versus life in the universe? Well, the reality is that the Bible says nothing either way. It doesn't say there isn't life out there, nor does it say that there is. It's really silent on the matter, and an argument from silence is a shaky one at best. Since the scriptures are silent on the matter, how can we approach the subject from a biblical worldview? The major storyline of the Bible is about God and his creation, specifically the human race. Psalm 8 reads, When I look at the sky which you have made, at the moon and the stars which are set in their places, what are human beings that you would think of them? Mere mortals that you would care for them. Yet you made them inferior only to yourself. You crowned them with glory and honor. You appointed them rulers over everything you made, and you placed them over all creation. Now, I grant that this verse doesn't say categorically uh, that the existence of intelligent life out there is there, but it does affirm that God's revelation uh, is concerned for the people that he has created on planet Earth. He thinks of us, and he's given us an incredibly high purpose with him in creation. 
Again, from Psalm 115, we read, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. Humanity, created in the image of God, was given stewardship of this planet. That stewardship meant that human beings were to cultivate and tend the earth and care for all of its resources and to do this to the glory of God throughout all of the earth. But as we know from Genesis 3, that story, it, an awful event took place that needed God's intervention. God's vice regents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed the Lord, fell into a state of alienation from God and into the captivity of rebellion against him. And from that moment on, the earth has been the theater where the drama of God's story of redemption has been taking place ever since. The focus of the biblical story is on what happens on planet earth, God's work in creation, the fall, redemption, and recreation. Now, what if we are engaged in a conversation with someone on this topic? How, how will we answer them, uh, especially if the anti-science card is played against you? Well, Christians never need to be afraid of scientific discoveries. It seems to me from scripture that there are two great areas of study, theology and science. Proverbs 25 verse two says, it is the glory of God to conceal things, uh, but the glory of kings is to search things out. And I take it that science falls into the search things out category. And now here's three ways that we can respond. First, the role of wonder. Do some uh, stargazing. Uh, the practice will inspire some questions about the handiwork of God. Psalm 19 says it, that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above us proclaims his handiwork. Declare and proclaims are words about speaking. They are speaking to us. And even though there are no words, the heavens and the sky have a voice that speaks about the nature and power of God. Let wonder of the universe impress the majesty and creativity and vastness of God on your soul. It will humble you and it will thrill you. A gaze of wonder can open us to the reality of God and his grace. The universe has a purpose to display the glory of God. The vastness of the universe shows the vastness of God's mercy. The quintillion of planets reveal the generosity of God. And who knows if in the new heavens and the, uh, and the new earth, those planets won't become places for study or places where the power of God might be extended to further the beauty of his creation. Second, as Christians, don't we already believe in the existence of intelligent alien life forms? We just call them angels and demons. God created supernatural beings. The planet, uh, the Bible tells us some of them rebelled with Lucifer and God banished them from heaven to earth. They roamed the earth to harass people and as Jesus said, to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. But a multitude of supernatural beings remained loyal to their king and are used by God to serve God's people. And third, as I said, don't be afraid of science. God's character never changes. What he created, he sustains in the forms and with the properties in which he created them. That means an apple tree will always produce apples and never aardvarks. Christians should be interested and involved in all fields of science. What a thrill to engage in learning more about creation because it reveals more of God's character. If Christianity is true, and I believe that it is, then there shouldn't be any contradiction between what it reveals and what we discover to be true in science. God is the source of both the book of nature and the book of revelation. If there's a discrepancy 
then either our understanding or interpretation of the Bible is wrong or our science is wrong. Well, let's close with an assumption just for the sake of a, a thought project that intelligent life exists out there somewhere. If there are planets on which intelligent life lives, even though we have never heard from them, then because we know God, we can assume that their planets and, and its properties were created by God to sustain whatever life form he created them to be. We needn't assume that they are human beings like us. They could just as easily look like the star, uh, characters out of some of the Star Wars movies. But what we can safely and definitively say, I believe, is that they and their uh, planets are the properties that were created by Christ. Paul says as much in Colossians 1, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Further, assuming there is intelligent life, I think we can also conclude two things are true about them. First, that they must have some sort of relationship to God because he is their creator and they are accountable to him just as we are. And second, that these beings are in need of redemption from sin and deliverance and from its power just as we humans are. Paul tells us in Romans that all creation is fallen and lies under God's curse. In Romans 8 we read, the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him, that is because of God who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. So, if you were to ask me, do I believe in USO, UFOs? Oh, my answer is, of course, they are unidentified flying objects, but that doesn't mean they are alien spaceships from outer space. They are some kind of an object flying around in the sky, not identifiable at the time. Now, if you ask me if intelligent life from another planet exists, well, I'm far less likely to believe it but in case a life form from another galaxy far, far away does make contact with the people of the SETI organization, well, my hope is that there will be a Christian there who receives them and explains the way of salvation in Christ to them. The gospel belongs to them, too. Well, that's all for today. Thanks for joining me. Next time on Wisdom 828, we'll take up the question of whether or not a Christian can claim to be a Christian uh, but not be a part of a church. Uh, thanks for joining me. Today, and thanks to Steve Diane behind the camera, no alien to video production, who helps Wisdom 8 to 8 carry out its mission to stamp out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. You be of good cheer.